don't assume that marketers already know how to be sustainable. I think, and you can probably relate to this too, Gage, when we're in such a sustainably focused world, you're like, isn't this second nature to everyone? Like to print on, you know, 100% FSC recycled paper or seed paper or lessen their footprint in this way. A lot of other you know, generic marketing agencies and companies that I talk to, they haven't even heard of green marketing. Obviously, they just think of, well, we don't print a lot of paper, so we're being more sustainable, but it's just, there's so much more underneath the surface than that. This is Evolve CPG a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. You can join our online community right now where we're going further, faster together at community.evolvecpg.com. Join us. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On this episode, we're speaking with Michelle Miller, founder and CEO of the Green Marketing Academy and owner and creative director of Minty Made, about branding, green marketing, stepping out of your comfort zone, and the need to continue educating yourself to keep your knowledge and resources fresh. Hi, everyone. I'm Michelle Miller. I'm a sustainable brand and web designer and also an educator in the green marketing space. I own a studio called Minty Made that empowers other businesses to reach more customers and expand their impact through visual branding, sustainable web design, and launch strategy. And I also have founded an educational space called the Green Marketing Academy that helps businesses shift their practices to become more sustainable. Awesome. Thanks for popping on and chatting with me, Michelle. I'm excited to dig a little bit more into what you do and your background. For example, I know we currently have you know a fair amount of overlap in what Modern Species versus Minty Made does, as well as we're both kind of working on education platform slash community type stuff. However, uh, when I was digging around a little bit more, I, I noticed that you had a bit of a different background from me, whereas I've been like in kind of graphic design sort of field the whole time, but you've been in like product management and marketing roles and stuff. So can you talk a little bit about like what drew you into these creative fields slash overlapping with business kind of stuff and kind of talk about some of your early roles and how you got to where you are now? Sure. So I started being interested in graphic design when I was 14. I remember taking classes in high school and thought this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then I graduated. I did actually get a production artist graphic design job working for a giftware company up in Ventura County, California. And then work slowed down there for a bit. So I started applying to other marketing jobs because I felt this pull to be in front of people a little bit more than just behind a computer screen all the time. I know you can relate to that. So I ended up throwing myself into a corporate marketing job in my very early 20s and spent about 12 years in corporate marketing and sales. The first industry I was in was telecommunications. So a very exciting time when a lot of technology was changing. And I started managing a lot of large trade shows. And this kind of kickstarted my 
experience with seeing how much waste was produced for these trade shows. You know, being a graphic designer, I would spend weeks, months, sometimes over a course of a year designing the product catalog, nice glossy uh, data sheets and things for these trade shows. And then there was a specific instance where I remember at one of the trade shows, you know, they hand out those tote bags where people put in all their data sheets and catalogs. I saw three people walking out of the conference hall and they took their entire bag of everything they had collected, you know, all the promotional products, everything just straight in the trash. And, you know, I just wanted to gasp and go hide in a corner. But I thought, wow, I've all of these people here in marketing have spent so much time designing this booth and all the materials. And now these are just going straight into landfill. And then, you know, your brain starts going, you're thinking about all of the tens and thousands of trade shows there are in every city and every country just over the course of a year. So that's when I started really thinking about what an impact all of our marketing efforts are having. And not just in the print space, but I'll get to the the digital space later. Then I shifted over to working more on the construction side of corporate marketing and sales. It's a little bit of a different industry because technology isn't evolving as quickly, but it's also an industry that produces a lot of waste in in different ways. Finally, in 2019, I had been working on a focus group in my last full-time job before I took my business full-time. And I started a sustainability support group. We actually did make some progress at the nonprofit that I worked at. We had our IT department install a pop-up on our computers, advising employees and asking them if they really needed to print emails and certain things. So it started to gain momentum and employees were really interested in, in doing more with that. But I would always hit the the ceiling of we don't have enough budget to support this. It's not a priority right now. You know, even in the nonprofit space, it's all about fundraising and getting more grants. So I just didn't feel satisfied in the work that I was doing. And I know that if I took my back then was a part-time on the side hustle design business that I could really make an impact and work with companies that are truly committed to making a difference. Yeah, nice. Okay, so similar origin story to myself as well, like with uh, modern species having worked in fields where you see just so much waste and all these things that you pour your heart and soul into as a creative, <laughs> just getting yeah. tossed in the trash. Like it could have at least been recycled, but <laughs> right. it just goes in the trash, right? <laughs> and your trade sto- show story, I see that so often. Like maybe not people walking out and dumping their bags, but I, I definitely see the trash cans full of all the literature and product samples and stuff outside the trade shows. But then also what I've seen is hotel rooms too. <laughs> like when I'm often like be sharing a Airbnb or a hotel room or whatever with like clients or friends or something like that. And whenever people leave their hotel rooms, you see like piles of stuff that they've collected mm-hmm. that they're like, how am I going to get this home? And they just like leave it there in the hotel room or something like that as well. So yeah, it's just so much waste. And then I'm sure when they get home, like, half of it still probably ends up in the trash after they think to themselves, I can't even remember getting this literature. <laughs> like whose business card was this? So it's just yeah. so, so much waste. And like you said, it's just one little slice of the world, like trade shows, right? But yeah, I had that similar kind of feeling that I was just creating a bunch of pretty trash and wanted to do something different. So that's kind of what pushed me on my path towards modern species as well. So that's kind of fun that we had that a similar origin story there. 
creating pretty trash. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think you were saying that you decided to focus on your like graphic design side hustle. I'm assuming you mean that was Minty Made. What did you already have it named Minty Made, or when you decided to shift full time, did you decide it needed a brand, or you know, can you talk a little bit about the origin story of the current iteration of your what was the side hustle now is your full hustle? Sure. No, it, it it has retained the same name. I'm feeling a rebrand taking place maybe in the next year or so, but it was really okay. aimed around, I mean, the color palette that I have. I don't know if they can see this video or not, but I'm wearing a mint colored sweater and it's just been um, a color that I gravitate towards. It's very... It symbolizes, you know, calming, uh, alignment. And so it became more the core of my brand. As silly as that sounds, that a color kind of dictated the direction of my business and my branding, that's how it came to be. And I work with a lot of wellness-based service providers that, you know, really focus on balancing your mental, physical, spiritual health, all of that. And on the other side is really, you know, product-based businesses who are interested in adopting more sustainable practices. So that's how it kind of came to be. The types of clients that I started working with even before I left my, at the time, full-time job and uh, sort of kept evolving from there. So now here we are three years later, and I've kind of shared with you how that growth has happened over the past two years. Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to actually ask if it was mint or kind of green, just a favorite color, or was it kind of a way to say green marketing or or green design without specifically saying green and, you know, mint is in the green family? Or what I was thinking maybe it was is that minty made was like, you know, everyone sees mint as fresh, like for chewing gum and stuff. So maybe it was like fresh made, like new kind of exciting (laughs) modern design stuff. So. Well, it's interesting to hear sub- that it was just kind of a favorite color palette. <laughs> yeah, I mean, subconsciously, yeah, those reasons that you just stated are probably much better reasons to have. But no, it, it evolved as a favorite color and then doing more research of why do I like this color so much? And I'm big into, as I'm sure you are, color psychology and that that side of branding. So it just became kind of a, almost an obsession of like, well, this makes sense to brand my business in this way. And yeah, d- deliver that fresh minty branding that you just alluded to. <laughs> nice. And you said that you're kind of feeling a rebrand coming on. Is that partly because maybe now three years in, you're starting to understand a little bit more about exactly who you're serving and what you're doing and kind of some goals for the growth of your company. And you're thinking there might need to be some alignment to get the brand up to where your vision for the future is coming. Yeah, I think so. And it's kind of scary. That's the first time and I'm sharing it like live on a podcast. (laughs) But I just feel like it's going to be shifting a little bit as we're serving larger clients and more of a team approach. So that's just been a recent revelation that I've had over the past couple of weeks or so. That makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of businesses end up being something a little bit different from where they started, whether that's because there wasn't a ton of planning that went into the start and you just kind of get started and you kind of fall into something or you set a plan and then reality kicks in or opportunities knock or whatever else and you end up pivoting. So I think it makes total sense that a few years in you start like wondering what's next or if this is the area you want to focus in or whatever. Like when I started Modern Species, it was actually just Gage Mitchell design because I was 
going through an experiment phase of like, okay, do we want to work with all nonprofits? Do we want to work all in health and wellness? Do I want to work in the craft brewing industry? Like, what do we want to do? And then once we kind of figured out our niche, our space, that's when we rebranded the modern species. And even that's gone through a couple rounds of refinement over the years. So that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's hard to know what your potential growth is when you're just starting out. And that's definitely where I was that I envisioned Minty Made as this small studio that was just going to be myself. And I mean, I'm very fortunate that it's grown a lot more quickly than I anticipated. Yeah, that's great. So when it was originally born as Minty Made, and it was like a freelance kind of side hustle, like who were you working with then? And then who are you working with now? So we get an idea of of where you're going. Yeah, that's a great question. When I first started out, it was more businesses that were just starting out themselves. So they were still trying to figure out and the branding strategy process, the branding process looked a lot different than it does now where I'm working with clients that are 5, 10, even a new client I have is like 40 years down the road. So it's almost treating a brand new business with their branding versus a rebrand and a you know reinvention of who a company is is completely different or should be treated differently in my eyes. So that's the biggest shift that I've seen. And, you know, over time you build that credibility that you're able to get those clients that you've worked with to the next level in the form of their return on investment or their growth. Nice. I know that you've told me some exciting new clients and I'm not sure if you're allowed to mention anything quite yet for some of those clients, but just so people listening and get a feel for the type of businesses you work with, feel free to name some names or just kind of talk about some categories, categories of business types or something that you work with. Yeah. So on the service provider side in the last, I would say over the last two years or so, it's been on the wellness side, not so much like traditional Western medicine. It's been uh, different naturopathic clinics and people that are in alternative types of medicine because I find that when they review, you know, the core values on our website, there's a lot of crossover between keeping Mother Earth healthy and keeping, you know, ourselves healthy. So there's been a lot of uh, crossover between sustainability and core values centered around wellness. And then other types of businesses that I've recently started working with are more in the consulting space. So thanks to, I'll give a shout out to 1% for the planet, which I know we have on our, our list to get to. A lot of businesses that are coaching other businesses to be more aware of the environmental impact that they can have, a lot of work around work-life balance, culture, and just helping them to create other business environments that don't drive their employees to burnout like I experienced in the corporate (laughs) world. So a lot of those, I know this is probably overused, but impact-driven businesses and and those that are really trying to make a change that's different from all the typical like capitalistic agenda, profit-focused business practices that we're all taught in school. Yeah, okay. And is there a a specific like point in time where a lot of your clients end up finding themselves knocking on your door? Like, is it always a rebrand moment or something like that where they realize they're not in alignment anymore? Or is it sometimes just uh, the brand's working, but we need a website that matches it or we need collateral or we need, you know, some other kind of ways to express it? Yeah, I find that 
the point in which people are motivated to reach out and I'll share. So the recent client that we're going to start working with in about a couple of weeks is made in Washington and they're a large distributor of gift baskets and they support local artisans around the state of Washington. And they are looking to do a rebrand to make sure that they're attracting a Gen Z, millennial, uh, just a younger type of demographic because their original branding was great. It did its job. They're a very successful company, but now it's coming to the fact that they want to make sure that they're staying current with the times and making sure that they appeal not just to one type of demographic. And I find that even with service-based businesses as well. I always tell people too, when you're first starting out with your business, as we were just talking about, I wouldn't invest heavily in branding as you're still trying to figure out who you're going to serve, what your core values as a business are, and making sure that you have a lot of clarity around that before you invest you know, thousands of dollars into rebranding. So as much as it's exciting that some clients you know, come to us for rebranding, we always want to make sure that it's a good fit. And I'm really excited about this project in particular because I think there's so many opportunities for this business to support more local businesses, local artisans and makers, but it just needs a fresh identity to be able to to steer it forward. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I know that like there's different kind of brand or marketing or business strategies. Like there are some brands out there that lock on to like an age bracket and they don't evolve with their consumers or members or whatever. So for a great example is like a lot of the clothing stores you see in the mall, like American Eagle or, you know, I'm trying to think of some of the teenager brands, uh, let's just say Forever 21 or something like that. And you go yeah. into the mall and like, there's always going to be <laughs> teenagers or very young adults or something shopping in those stores. But you rarely see probably like 40 year old, 50 year old people in those stores. And they just kind of like hyper-focus on not evolving with their customers. They just stay who they are and stay that kind of like mall teenager kind of demographic. Whereas even something like, I don't know, let's just say a Harry Potter or something started out aiming at, 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 at kids, at young children. They evolved the movies and the books and all the offerings and whatever along with the audience over time. And now you've got like Harry Potter themed bars in Ballard <laughs> neighborhood of, of mm -hmm. Seattle and stuff. So it's like, there's so many different strategies for it. But to your point, I think a lot of clients that we work with are needing to shift from like maybe their original Gen X or something like that demographic or their baby boomers or something like that. And realizing their demographic is starting to age out and they need to survive. So they need to figure out a way to like shift a little bit and welcome younger people back into their brand. And it's an interesting challenge, you know, because it's not like you're redesigning the brand to exclusively speak to that younger audience because right, they want to yeah. keep their existing audience, but, but they do want to catch a younger audience too. So it's a, a fun challenge of figuring out how do we welcome more people in while not scaring away some of the existing customers. Yeah, it's always a fun formula to find out what design and copy and messaging resonates with a variety of audience rather than just picking one specifically to focus on. Yeah. So then I might be kind of like tossing this one out there because I didn't prep you with this question at a time at all. But uh, so three years in or so, like what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced so far? 
As a designer? As a business owner, as a designer, as, you know, just someone trying to build something that you believe in. Sure. Uh, And we were just kind of touching on this, so it's fresh in my mind, but just having so many ideas to implement and not enough bandwidth. So I'm working on growing the team and you know delegating certain things to other people that, you know, are better. I'm not great at everything. So making sure that we have a team that is, you know, a force behind this change that we want to make for our own business and how we serve our clients. So making sure that all these ideas actually, and not all at once, of course, but do we set, you know, goals in place and timelines in place to propel them forward? Because as you know, it's like, there's so much to do. I want to first and foremost, focus on delivering an incredible client experience. But there's all these other ideas that sometimes we can get scared about. And I think I shared that in a post in your community recently. But we almost feel like, you know, I have imposter syndrome, or I'm not knowledgeable enough to do that thing. But it's just a matter of, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone every once in a while with these big visions and ideas that you have and making sure that those stay on track and come to fruition. I would say that's the biggest challenge is just time management. And I've gotten much better at that over the years, especially because now I manage my own time completely. But there's just, there could always be more time. Yeah. I feel like that's sort of a curse of the small business world is that you have to wear a lot of hats and there's always more to do than there's time to do it. And you've got maybe a small scrappy team who are all working together and just need to be kind of fluid and dynamic because you don't have people who just do this one specific thing, right? Everyone's got to be able to jump in and, and help out with lots of things. With that said, I've never worked in a giant corporate environment, but from the people that I talk to who have, there seems to be a whole nother, you know, layer of problems that big corporations have. Like you like to think that they've got all their processes locked in and everything works smoothly, but you know, they have a whole bunch of problems of their own. So it, I want to say it's like a common small business thing, but maybe it's just a common business thing. <laughs> like the number of times I hear, yeah. whether it's a two-person company or a 2,000-person company, I hear people like starting at, what, at those companies and being like, wow, I thought they'd have their sh- shit together. But it turns <laughs> out they don't. Like they don't have a system for this. They don't have a process for that. Like they sell this expensive service or product, but they don't have any data on it or they don't have like all the reports. And, and it's just kind of amazing to me makes me feel a little bit better as a business owner for not having everything buttoned up, you know, but I think that's part of what you learn maybe as a small business owner, or maybe just in corporate too. I'm not sure I haven't worked there, but is just being okay with not having everything locked down and just being confident in your ability to pivot and make decisions on the fly as problems pop up that you haven't experienced or don't have a process manual for. Yeah, you said exactly what was on my mind that I remember getting into corporate and seeing all these very large companies and still talking to friends nowadays who work with very large tech companies in the area and thinking, wow, I thought they would have this all flushed out. And it it is slightly comforting and empowering to know that, you know, like you just said, we don't have to have all the answers right now and all of our ideas flushed out. So, you know, as humans, there's just imperfect action that takes place. Absolutely. So 
speaking of having maybe a few too many things on your plate or having more to do than you have time to do, I know one of the projects you're focusing on right now is building out this Green Marketing Academy. So tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So last year, I launched the Green Marketing Academy. And it's a online course right now, a certification program and a community designed to help individuals, solopreneurs, business owners, and those that are part of a marketing department shift their practices to be more sustainable, ethical, inclusive, and accessible for people on the planet. So I know that's kind of a mouthful, but I'll kind of like dissect the four pillars of that now. So I base the entire curriculum on four pillars, which is people, planet, balance, and growth, which is kind of growth is at the intersection of those three. So people will start there. It helps you focus your marketing strategy to be more authentic and be able to connect and support the people you sell to with obviously a specific focus around sustainability and being inclusive of the audience that you're um, designing your messaging around. And then going on to the planet. So of course, that's the main focus here in addition to people is making more businesses aware of the actual ways and the tasks that they can be a part of and implement to reduce both their physical, so from a print perspective that we were talking about earlier, and a digital carbon footprint. There's a lot more to green marketing than just, hey, printing less or printing on seed paper business cards or compostable materials for packaging. There's there's a lot more behind the scenes. And as I started researching this over the last you know five years or so, I didn't really see anything that brought it all together holistically. So that was a big motivator of creating this. Aside from the whole you know, saving the planet aspect, balance was important to me to really embed in this course as well, because sustainability truly starts with our own energy. And in working in a corporate environment, I quickly learned that even though I was wearing all these hats, and I had a lot of other whole department of coworkers helping me with my goals, it led to a lot of illness and burnout and stress. And, you know, I'll spare all the details, but this I really designed this course to help people manage their marketing strategy, whether they're a small business or a large corporation that supports the culture of the business or their lifestyle, not the other way around. Because it's just really important to me that people recognize that we have finite energy in the course of a day or a week or a month and making sure that you create an action plan that's really manageable for you. And then finally is growth. So by focusing on the other three pillars. The students that have gone through the academy so far have really been able to experience growth, not only in a income sense with their business, but personal development wise as well. And so that kind of ties in the whole mission of the Green Marketing Academy and the vision that I have for it. And I want to start scaling that up to train more larger businesses and corporations, because they are the ones that are really going to have a much more significant impact than say you or I as small businesses. Not that we don't matter. I'm not saying that, but just the scale of the impact that these larger tech companies, I mean, we're in the Seattle area can have is truly going to move the needle. Yeah, no, I get that. I think that's part of why modern species ended up over the years focusing on a lot of high growth CPG kind of brands, because 
consumer packaged goods. I, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably get that, but just in case, yeah. because I realized that we could, you know, really make the most sustainable, amazing brand, mission driven, equitable, like all the kind of things we want to do for like a small local business, like a restaurant or something like that. And that's amazing and it's really fun and rewarding. But if they're not going to open up 3,000 restaurants, if they're just going to like do one or two or something in a local town, then the impact they're making is in the dozens versus in the people they connect or something like that, right? Versus if you're working with a brand whose intention is to grow national, international, etc., that means so many more ingredients, so many more people affected, so many more employees, so many more dollars going to impact and so on and so forth. So it's not that I don't love those small local restaurants or something. I absolutely do. I just thought if I'm going to focus my limited amount of time as a small design agency on impact, then I may as well focus that where the impact is at scale. And then we do still help some small businesses wherever we can, just because it's, you know, near and dear to our heart to help those passionate entrepreneurs. But I definitely hear you on that kind of growth side and working with some of the bigger companies. Hey, y'all. We're going to take a quick break to let you know about a new podcast called Climify for designers, educators, and sustainability geeks. Host and design educator Eric Benson interviews acclaimed climate scientists and sustainability experts to find out how designers can help combat the climate crisis in their college classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals, but also can have a positive impact on our climate. You can find Climify on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to join the conversation and become a climate designer, you can follow the show on Instagram at Climify Podcast or head over to our great teaching resources at climatedesigners.org slash edu. All right, now let's get back to our conversation. Question though on that, so it sounds like there's definitely curriculum around people and planet. Possibly it sounded like also a lot of intentionality set up around that balance, maybe also some curriculum. But the growth part, is that also baked into the curriculum or is that more of like a benefit of going through the first three other steps as well as maybe the the community portion of the offering. One of the things that I wanted to focus on when I developed my course, because I've taken probably more online courses than I've needed to over the years, is really having an action coming out of this course. Because it's great to learn about green marketing strategies and say, oh, that's something that I didn't know or I'll change that when I have time. But what I really wanted to build into it and what the final homework is per se is to build an actionable green marketing strategy and plan for either your business or your marketing team that you can present to your your higher ups if you need to, to show that there's cost savings involved. And so that's where I've seen a lot of the growth happen with the students that have gone through this is not just learning about it and, you know, kind of bookmarking those tasks for later on, but we actually get on a call as a group or individually and flush out what those action steps are going to be. Keeping in mind that you're not overloading your plate with too many actions that you're trying to do at once. You know, sustainability is unfortunately the long game and yeah, just going back to keeping your energy capacity in mind. So the growth really happens when action is implemented 
I mean, of course, you can reflect on some of the the teachings, like we do a, a pretty deep core values exercise within the course that allows you to reflect on, you know, your own relationships in your own life, but also how to apply those to businesses. But I've seen more of the growth happen and the results from booking, you know, larger clients or attracting new customers and boosting sales is when those actions are put into place, not just keeping it at a very like theoretical level. If I did this, then this will happen. Yeah. Does that make sense? For sure. Yeah, I think a lot of the online courses that I've done as well, similar to you, just love learning. But like they all kind of emphasize like it, the fact that you coming to learn is great. That's awesome. Pat yourself on the back. But if you don't do anything with that knowledge, what was the point? <laughs> so I think that's also yeah, where a exactly. lot of online courses struggle. From what I've researched and from what I've heard other people say, is that a lot of people don't even finish the courses. For example, I did. Seth Godin's marketing seminar last year or something like that. And by the time I finished, I think there were maybe only like 20 or 30% of the couple thousand or whatever people that were doing the workshop at the same time who had gotten to the finish point. I didn't go back and check like a month or two later. But I think from stats that I've seen, maybe like at most 50% of the people will actually finish that course. So even when it's not a giant course like that, it's like, just getting through the course is hard enough, but then most people don't implement what they learned in that course. So I, I hear over and over, like when you're starting a new course, the presenter is always like, <laughs> I love that you're here and I, I want you to get something out of this. So you have to like put these practices or these theories or these strategies in place and take action if you want any of the benefits. Like don't just come here, take some notes and then file it away and leave. So I think that is an interesting challenge yeah. as Evolve CPG starts to build out more offerings or with your Green Marketing Academy, like finding ways to make sure people get through the course, first of all, but then finding ways to support them after the course in implementing those actions. So I, I imagine that's part of where your community portion comes in. And it's, it's almost like a support group after going through the class. Yeah, definitely. And I mentioned at the very beginning when I introduced it that it is in my longer term vision. I feel like the term certification is used very loosely. And sometimes even in the eco space, it can be turned into a form of greenwashing at some point. So the work that I'm doing with, you know, smaller businesses right now is there are tests within the course and actions involved to get that certification. I'm very I don't know if the word picky comes to mind, but I'm very just adamant that people that have the certification badge on their website have actually put this into practice and aren't just getting through the modules saying, hey, I watched all the videos. Can I have the badge? It's like, that's not what it's for. And so now I'm working on as we break into these larger corporations and train them, what does that certification process look like? Because I don't want it to become a form of just greenwashing and saying, hey, we did this multi-day training. Now we're green marketing certified. So something I'm playing around with. And I just wanted to kind of to add that in there. And the community aspect to go back to the question you asked has been great because I intended for the community to result in work and these different businesses working together in some way. But it's been great to see all the connections, um, people guesting on podcasts with one another, cool. people actually hiring one another for services. So that's been a really rewarding thing to see just from an outside perspective as a result of creating nice. this. Yeah, that's like the, um, I do have like a mastermind group that I've kept going to. 
after the Seth, Seth Godin marketing seminar of just some people we met in that space. But more specifically, I did a program called 10,000 Small Businesses, which is a small business like growth, Excel, growth accelerator where they try to teach small business owners kind of the, the fundamentals of knowing how to review your balance sheets and different things like that. But more specifically, try to give you the tools to spend more time working on your business instead of in your business is a lot of their focus. However, like the class or the program is great and all, but what's almost even more impressive is that they've got over 10,000 graduates from this program in this community now and they put on summits and I just noticed some invites pop up on my calendar for like a local meetup of graduates of 10,000 small business in the, like the Seattle area and they have an app where you can like ask each other questions and stuff and I've seen people from my cohort like launch new business opportunities and things together or like you said collaborate or or work with each other etc so it's really cool when you can go through something together but not just end it there but kind of continue that relationship and support each other thereafter i'm glad you kind of worked that aspect into it so speaking of being part of communities though you and i met at the one percent for the planet global summit just a few months back has it a few months now well time flies but anyway so it was a great event. You know, I think it was like 400-ish people or something like that, if I remember correctly. So, a nice kind of like intimate event compared to the Expo West that I was at right before it, <laughs> which was like 65,000 people or something like that. And it was a beautiful venue in kind of North Hollywood-ish area and had amazing conversations, lots of good talks, breakout sessions, and so on and so forth. So, it was a great event all over. But again, part of the benefit of going to something like that is meeting awesome like-minded people like yourself. So, that's where you and I connected. But since we're both 1% from the Planet members, I'd love to hear a little bit more about why you choose to become a member of 1% and how you're kind of like using that within your business. Sure. So, I've been a longtime fan of Patagonia. I actually went to college at Cal State Channel Islands, which is just down the road in uh, Camarillo, close to their corporate headquarters. So, of course, I was like, I'm going to get a graphic designer job at Patagonia. That didn't quite work out, but I have always just admired all the things they're doing to help normalize just re-wearing clothes, only buying clothes when you need them, especially outdoor hiking gear as I, you know, became an adult and started doing a lot more hiking. It is an investment just to buy outdoor gear. So I've always just followed them religiously and I have been, you know, an early reader of let my people go surfing. And so I've just Yvonne's been such a great role model for me and how he structured his business. So when 1% for the planet came to be, I knew someday when I owned my own business, I wasn't sure exactly when that I would become a member as soon as that was possible when I had enough money coming in to do that. So the first chance I got, I joined, which was in mid 2020, I believe. And yeah, I knew that it was going to be an incredible experience. I don't think I understood just how incredible it would be until going to the summit because I know you and I were talking about this for the weeks after. It's just there were so many amazing people there and just we felt so motivated listening to all these speakers. And so I just 
I continue to just be grateful that I'm a part of this. And I actually did meet a client, um, Conscious Revolution is the name of their business that I'm working with on branding and web design project now. So it's just, it was such a great opportunity. And especially after two years of just constant Zoom meetings and networking to be in person and just making those relationships. It's been incredible. Like I don't have enough good things to say about my decision to join 1% for the planet. Nice. And so how are you kind of organizing your 1% right now? Because I've done a couple episodes with some 1% for the planet kind of employees kind of breaking some of this down. We also had for the listeners out there who are curious, episode 73 of the show kind of was a panel discussion with talking about different ways you can kind of fulfill your 1% commitment with a few case studies of different business types who are getting kind of creative with their giving. So check that out if you want. But I'm just curious for you, Michelle, how are you typically going about doing your 1% commitment? Are you writing checks for all of it? Are you volunteering time? Are you doing supported promotions for the nonprofits you're supporting, et cetera? Like what's your mix? Sure. Since I joined right now, it's all been contribution to it's kind of a split for who I've which nonprofits I've donated to right now. Half of them have been really youth focused. So amplifying youth voices, Earth Guardians was one of the speakers at the summit. So I made it a point to use about half my contribution going back to them and the other nonprofits that I really want to focus on and just build into the annual contributions is for Black and Indigenous nonprofits to make sure that, again, in the the environmental space and the intersectionality that takes place, that's a big focus that I'm actually going to build more of that into my course, is just making sure that we amplify these voices that are really suffering much more than myself or the white community around climate change and the effects of climate change. So what I'm working on right now is a way to, yes, get more involved in, I volunteer with a lot of like local Seattle-based communities and different farms and nonprofits here, but now tying in that 1% for the planet member aspect and seeing where I can volunteer locally to support some of these nonprofits. And on the branding side, as we talked about, setting up a way to do pro bono projects to support these nonprofits that are either just starting out or even hope to become more active 1% for the planet members. So there's so many ideas. And I think we were joking about this at the summit that we didn't even know half the ways that we could contribute to being members. But yeah, that's definitely a big focus of mine as I continue to outsource some of the things that are keeping me far too busy right yeah. now. So I'll have a better update the next time that I come oh, no on the podcast good for that. I mean, it's, it's a journey, just like figuring out where you're going to focus your business or where your impact is going to be or your processes. I think your giving is also always a journey, right? I feel like while Modern Species, for example, has been working with B Corps and such since basically day one of our business, it took us, I don't know, six, seven years or something like that to get certified ourselves. So maybe even more than that because it is a lot of work and you have different priorities and you got different things to check off the list and so on and so forth. So just getting signed up and starting is the important first step, but then you've got the rest of your business to continue to evolve how you're, how you're going about your commitment. So it's great to hear what you're doing now. 
So with that said, I know that a lot of your focus is on helping companies get better about their marketing and brand and other things like that. So especially since you have a whole course on (laughs) green marketing, I figured you would be the perfect person to ask, what's some of the top advice that you give to green marketers to make sure that they're putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak, instead of just greenwashing, but actually following through on practices? Sure. This goes for just all marketers in general, but continue to educate yourself with, you know, viable sources, of course, because in the eco space, especially things are always changing. Right before I recorded the digital carbon footprint lesson within my course early last year, I was in a green graphic design community and we were talking about some of these studies and data that has popped up saying that there's a book I read and it says that if the internet were a country, it would be the, I think it's the seventh most polluting country in the world. And so obviously that's a huge stat that you're like, wait, what is this trying to say? So making sure that you look at the sources of the articles that you're reading, because for instance, in one of my lessons, I talk about this, but the fact that there's a digital carbon footprint or a physical carbon footprint that every piece of marketing material creates. And there was a greeting card company online that was trying to basically position the fact that an email carried more of a a carbon footprint than an actual physical mailed letter. And it ended up just being not so much a greenwashing tactic, but there was an underlying agenda to kind of push that data. So you have to be really aware of that in the green marketing space that you want to make sure that you kind of flush out these facts and make sure that there's not new data available so that you can make the best decision for how you're spending your marketing dollars and what is having the least amount of impact. So long answer to say, just keep educating yourself. There's a lot of other, I mean, I'm certainly not the only green marketing expert. There are tons of them all over LinkedIn. The UK has a lot of very influential figures in this space that I keep learning from. And so it's becoming a lot more of a accepted term. Second piece of advice with that said is don't assume that marketers already know how to be sustainable. I think, and you can probably relate to this too, Gage, when we're in such a sustainably focused world, you're like, isn't this second nature to everyone? Like to print on, you know, 100% FSC recycled paper or seed paper or lessen their footprint in this way. A lot of other you know, generic marketing agencies and companies that I talk to, they haven't even heard of green marketing. Obviously, they just think of, well, we don't print a lot of paper, so we're being more sustainable, but it's just there's so much more underneath the surface than that. So I always tell this to myself, it's just as much of a reminder is keep talking about this, keep putting your own thoughts and education and experience and share that out because it's not something that is mainstream. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it and I probably wouldn't spend so much time talking yeah. about it. I think the consumer desire to work with businesses or buy products from companies that are caring about the environment has gone more mainstream, but still like the ability or knowledge to deliver on that. <laughs> authentically is still pretty new, I think. And uh, like you said, it's changing a lot, just like the technology world. You might learn a bit of data about 
which type of material is better for recycling last year. And then all of a sudden everything changes <laughs> around the globe because like one country decided to shut off recycling. You know, there's just so many things out there. And then to your point as well about like checking sources slash updating your sources. I think one of the more frustrating things I see is to your point of like people kind of selectively choosing what data they want to share to promote their specific business. I see this all the time about companies that will kind of pull kind of little pieces of the data to say, look how much better our product or package is or, or something like that compared to the the rest of them. And they just don't mention anything else. For example, in the flexible packaging world, they love to talk about how they're the eco choice, mostly leaning on the fact that they're just lighter weight, right? Like they use less material, but all that material is a linear path from manufacturing, usually petroleum straight into the landfill where it will live, live on beyond probably our culture or civilization or something like that, right? Whereas yeah, even if you just went back to a traditional rigid plastic container sometimes, that might actually be a lower footprint because it's more easily recoverable. But yes, there's always trade-offs and in terms of like doing a full life cycle analysis. But it, it's it's the fact that people will lean into whatever data is favorable to them <laughs> instead of being fully transparent. Like I would be much more excited to see a flexible packaging company say, look, this isn't ideal, but it's lightweight and let's let's be real, like how much is getting recycled anyway and so on and so forth. So we'll continue to improve and we'll create, you know, use recycled material and we'll, you know, work on our processes and we won't ship it all across the world and all those kind of things. But yeah, it's going to go to the landfill. Like, can't we just have those honest conversations? And I feel like consumers and maybe other business professionals hopefully are, are getting more open to those vulnerable conversations around the fact that it's not perfect. Nothing is perfect. Like you mentioned, Patagonia is, is the reason you ended up with 1% for the planet. And they're pretty well known for that transparency of saying like, look, this jacket still takes resources and it's not perfect. And there's some parts of the supply chain that are not ideal and we haven't figured out a solution yet. We're open to it, but just letting you know that it's not ideal. So maybe don't buy this jacket because <laughs> it's not perfect. Even though it's better than others, yeah, don't buy it. Yeah, right? I, I love so that. I think there's a lot of work that brands can be doing around vulnerability that I think would help the whole world because it educates people around issues while still telling them or reassuring them that you did think about this. And you've chosen what you believe to be the best solution, but know that it's not perfect, you know? And I think that would be so much better of a message than just picking a few pieces of data <laughs> to back up whatever claim you're making and act like the rest of the data doesn't exist. I feel like that's just so frustrating for me. Yeah, you said it well. A big focus of this is, I mean, last piece of advice is you can't do it all at once. So I really made it a point with this education that I am providing in the courses, I don't want it to feel overwhelming for people. There's a lot. I mean, obviously, I made a whole course around it about green marketing, but you can only take certain steps at a time. And it's okay that if your sustainability page says, hey, here's what we are doing, 
here's what we're not so good at and here's what we're working towards. And just like you said, being transparent about those different areas, people are going to be far more likely to invest with you or buy from you if you're you know, kind of pulling back the curtain on those things that you're working to to be better yeah, at. Yeah, like you said, can't do it all at once. So just like pick the next best thing, right? So maybe the next best thing is just signing up for 1% from the planet because you can just get it done in a f- couple weeks or something like that. It's not that much effort because you don't have to show them receipts until, you know, the review period is up so you can get moving faster. Whereas like maybe that B Corp certification <laughs> is going to be on your 2025 list of goals because it's going to take time to gather data and fill out the whole assessment and go through the process. But there's just a million things you could be doing. Try not to do them all. I totally agree with that. And I would also say one thing I try to push people towards is when you're trying to decide which things to do, pick the things that are make sense for your brand, that are authentic to your brand and relevant to your customers. Because maybe your company shouldn't be jumping into the Black Lives Matter movement like Pepsi tried to do with that commercial that ended up having to get pulled because it just wasn't authentic for them. And it had nothing to do with their product. Their consumers don't see them for that and so on and so forth. So I think finding things that are relevant to you instead of jumping in on the the cause of the day, so to speak, I think is one way to... Mm-hmm. narrow in but then after that just kind of like focusing on one thing at a time and get it done and know that like you said sustainability or impact is the long view and most people underestimate or overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 so don't try to do it all now but make progress and you'll you'll be impressive how far you can come in 10 years i stole that quote i can't remember who originally said it but i think i saw like bill gates say that quote in some talk, but I don't know. He might've borrowed it from someone else. Yeah. I've heard you say that before. I don't remember where, but I really, I really yeah, do. It kinda, like like running a business, you know, you, you just get so overwhelmed with all the stuff you haven't done yet or should be doing. But every once in a while, yeah. if you take a, a moment and reflect on all that you have accomplished, it reminds you that you are making progress. You are moving forward, right? And I saw another friend recently on social media posted something that said that he's not in competition with others. He's not comparing himself to people who are richer than him or people that are more successful or people that are more impactful or whatever than him. What he compares himself to is whether or not he's better than he was a year ago. (laughs) And I feel like that's so much healthier (laughs) of a measurement than, you know, me looking at some other company and being like, dang, they're, they're net zero or like, they're employee owned or they're, you know, whatever, some kind of thing that I've always thought could be cool. And I'll hope to get around to someday instead of comparing myself to that, just compare myself to, you know, how we were as a business a year ago. And like a year ago, we weren't carbon neutral certified. So, you know, there you go, make, put that stamp. And I'm hoping as soon as our B Corp recertification is done any day now, we'll have jumped like 10 or 20 points in our B Corp score. So it's like, as little wins, you know, maybe we're not where we want to be long term, where we'd love to be, but like you make those baby steps and you do what you can when you can. Great pieces of advice. So we're basically at time here. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your wisdom and talking about what you're doing and kind of sharing some of your journey along the way. Of course, I uh, really appreciate your focus as a designer, marketer, et cetera, trying to push people towards more sustainable, equitable solutions. So 
Thank you for doing all that. And thanks for being an active member of the Evolve CPG community. So anyone who's listening out there, if you're not in the community yet, just go to community.evolvecpg.com and you can join right now for free and have conversations with Michelle and I online on a daily, weekly basis or whatever, however often you want to engage. But again, thanks, Michelle, for doing what you do and for coming out and sharing some of your wisdom with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Michelle, the Green Marketing Academy, or Menti Made, visit thegreenmarketingacademy.com or mentimade.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. <laughs>